Hey, Rise Together listeners, just a heads up. Well, this is an episode primarily about grief and hope for one Gold Star family, there is also some frank talk about suicide. So if that's a topic that's sensitive to you, I want you to do whatever is best for you and proceed with caution, or maybe consider skipping this episode altogether. Thanks. What would the world look like if we all pushed ourselves to have candid conversations with people who didn't look like us, think like us, or live like us? I'm Dave Hollis, and I'm on a mission to learn more about this world by meeting more of the people who live here. You may not always agree with everything you hear, but I guarantee you'll come away more informed on topics you might never have thought to seek out before. This isn't just a podcast, it's a community. And when we raise each other up, we all rise together. Ladies and gentlemen, today on the Rise Together podcast, we have the pleasure of having a best-selling author, Ashley Buggy, in the house. She is someone who, unfortunately, knows tragedy very well, but has also attempted to take that tragedy and turn it into triumph. From living her dream in Hawaii to unexpectedly becoming a military widow at the age of 34, she has had to fight for her life and that of her three young children. Remarkably, Ashley has turned her tragedy into a captivating and emotional story of resilience and determination in the number one new release, Always Coming Back Home, an emotional tale of love, adventure, tragedy, and hope. Came out just recently in September of 2020. Currently, she lives in the Pacific Northwest with her three children and her rescue pup, Chance, where they are collectively scouting out epic adventures soon to be had. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Ashley to the Rise Together podcast. Woo, quite the introduction. Thank you, Dave. Well, I mean, that is my attempt to introduce you, but I know uh, a high-level intro only goes so far. For anyone who does not know who you are or where your journey began, can you, in your own words, give us a little bit of how uh, you found yourself, where you find yourself, and how you've attempted to take unimaginable tragedy and turn it into something of a triumph? Yeah. I mean, to be perfectly fair, we'd probably have to clear the next 17 slots to get that all in here, but short story. Yeah, my husband, uh, Brian, and I were living our dream life in Hawaii. He was there as a naval officer stationed at Pearl Harbor. And, you know, there's a long backstory, which I do write about and always coming back home. But he and I dated when we were 20. Uh, We spent 10 years apart, came back together when we were 29, got married, spent the next four or five years traveling the world together, sailing. He sailed our sailboat from Seattle to Hawaii on the military orders, brought young kids into the mix, traveled the world with our young kids, learned to scuba dive, just kind of lived this really fun, beautiful, adventurous life, doing exactly what we wanted, how we wanted to do it, somewhat unconventional, especially being a military family and still finding time and energy to do all this and with young kids found out we were pregnant Christmas morning, 2017 with our third child, which was really special because um, we had just suffered two really tragic miscarriages also. And five months pregnant, Brian left for the day for a training dive and getting ready, getting my one and three-year-old ready to leave the house that morning. I got a call uh, from an unknown number and, you know, tempting to, to not answer it. Obviously, I was thinking a sales call or some some annoying person wanting something from me. But, you know, 
much like any military spouse will tell you, if your husband or spouse is in danger and an unknown number calls you, there's something inside that tells you, just triggers you to answer the phone. And, you know, my kids were arguing next to me, wanting to get out the door. And I, I said, shh, and I answered the phone. And uh, it was somebody from the dive shop telling me that there had been an accident on his dive boat and wanting to know where I was and if I had the kids with me and that they were coming to get me. And, you know, very sad, tragic, complicated story later, I found out that he died in these warm Hawaiian waters that we had really just grown to love and had been a part of our love story in our life. And six months pregnant with our third child, my one and three-year-old in the car. And yeah, that was, that was hands down the worst experience day, moment, year, years <laughs> ever. I mean, just the worst, but oh. that was... May 2018. So two and a half years ago now. And obviously, you know, I'm still working through it. I think anyone who's been through grief, it doesn't, there's not a time frame. There's not a, okay, it's been two years, I'm better, or, you know, you certainly move through it, but there's been a lot of healing and growth and grieving, not only myself, but I gave birth to my daughter a few months after that. I moved off the island away from our home, raising grieving children in the mix. So it's, it's been a process for sure. Wow. I can't, uh, it's so hard to follow up with any kind of a question <laughs> after that because it's, it, 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 it's heavy yeah. and it's a lot. And in a world where you had an imagination for what your future would look like, mm-hmm. obviously this was not a part of a future that you had a vision for. Yeah. What was the first, I, I mean, I, I, I don't even know that there is a rational way to answer this question, but you've lost Brian, you're this single mom of two and almost three kids. What was, what was the beginning like in trying to make sense of what to do next, of how to take any step forward? Acknowledging, yes, that it's going to be a long grieving process, but do you have any memory of what it was like at the very beginning as you're trying to make sense of the impossible? Yeah, that's actually a really good question. So props to you for asking that. Yeah, honestly, the first six months after he died, it was such a haze, so foggy because we had done six month six month deployments when he was out on a submarine. We'd go six months without seeing each other, without sometimes talking, you know, emails here and there. But the six month mark was really the first like, this is real. This is not a dream. This is not a bad pregnancy dream. This is not, he's not going to be there he's not coming home. This isn't a deployment. This isn't anything that we've been prepared for. This has actually happened. And so once I know that sounds silly that it took six months, but that was the amount of time that I'd been without him before. So to me, if he didn't come home after six months, six months, then it was real. And I really had to start figuring out how to do this. And so when, when I hit that mark and I really (laughs) embraced the fact that it, it had happened and he wasn't coming home, I knew I mean, to be perfectly blunt, I was suicidal. I was pregnant. I was suicidal. I was so wrapped up in sadness and depression and emotion. I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to raise kids by myself. I didn't want to live in this world that didn't include Brian. I didn't want to know that I had a lifetime ahead of me of this type of pain and sadness. I didn't think that I could do it. But every day, I just pushed a little bit. You know, today my goal is to get out of bed. Today, my goal is to take a shower. Today is to hug my kids and tell them I love them. Today, my goal is to have this baby. <laughs> if I can have this baby, then maybe I can I can do this. And 
when I finally came to this mark and I'd had my youngest Adeline, I said, okay, either, either I'm going to do it. And I've, I'm going to make this decision that I'm going to figure out how to raise these kids. And I'm going to live the best life that I possibly can because I don't want my kid's story to be that my dad died. And then a few months later, my mom died and that's our life story. I didn't, I didn't want that. Or I'm just going to take my own life and I'm going to be done with it. And I'm just not going to have to be in this type of sadness anymore. And so I came to this point and I made that decision that, okay, I'm not going to take my life. I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to, I'm going to embrace the fact that Brian died, but up until he died, we had lived this perfect, beautiful life together. And that's what I'm going to figure out how to focus on. And that's what I want to teach my kids. And that's what I want to continue doing with my own life. And I just need to find a way to do it. And so that's a long story to get back to your question of the first thing that I did was I planned a trip and I knew that Brian and I you know, travel and experience and education has been so important to us and including our kids and all of those things. And so I kind of told myself, I need to plan a trip big enough and extravagant enough that's going to get me excited, that's going to take up so much of my time that I can't be focused on this sadness and that's going to enable us to make just beautiful memories together as a family now of four And so I did, I planned this two month trip across Europe with all three of my kids, ages not even one, uh, two and and four, I think they were at the time. And we spent two months traveling through eight countries of Europe, just mourning and celebrating and celebrating birthdays and having so many, you know, laughs and sadness and all of these things, but experiencing them together together in a way that we would have done had Brian been there with us, but recognizing he wasn't, but that this is how we're going to, we're going to live our lives and we're just going to get out there and we're going to figure it out together and we're going to do it. Wow. I mean, it's an incredible way to honor the way that he would have hoped for you to live without him as impossible as it had to have felt to try and put one foot in front of the other, creating something to look forward to for anyone who's listening and experiencing grief in real time a great strategy for giving yourself a why for getting up each day and getting in the shower. I I, I can appreciate too, grief is a nonlinear experience. And so I'm sure that you had a a good day followed by a couple of bad and then a couple of good days followed by a couple of bad. And over time, hopefully, yep, you're never going to stop grieving. It's just that I think grief transitions with the benefit of time and you have a handful of more good days or good moments than you do bad ones. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. In the journey that is grief, the idea that it's not linear is something that I think we hear, but maybe don't actually appreciate until we are inside of and experiencing the processing of something that does not have a timetable and is not linear whatsoever in that you can have 
one bad day followed by a good day, one or two good days followed by a couple of hard days. Is there something that you would give as a tip or a piece of advice in the way that you've been able to experience the transition of how you're processing grief? Yep, you're still going to be processing it for the rest of time, but how the benefit of time has maybe made you think differently about what it is to experience it and how grace and affording yourself the grace to know that, man, it's not always going to just get better day after day. You're, you know, inevitably going to have some backward steps along the way. Yeah. I think understanding that, which only comes with time and knowledge, honestly, is the biggest part of all of that is recognizing it's okay to have bad days. It's okay to feel sad as long as you embrace that and recognize it for what it is and understand that tomorrow's going to be a new day. And in the early stages, that's the hardest, hardest part of it is because you just, you know, tomorrow's not going to be a better day. You don't want tomorrow to be a better day. You want to, to live in that sadness. You want to be that sad because if you're not that sad, does that mean you maybe you didn't love that person that much? Like grief just does crazy, crazy things to your brain. And it, it, it doesn't make you think properly or rationally. So I think for me, it was definitely just setting these microscopic goals of, you know, like I said, today I need to eat something like that sounds ridiculous, but setting a goal and then accomplishing it really just builds up this tiny little bit of confidence of, okay, I was able to do that. Okay. What's my next goal? I'm going to, I'm going to walk to the mailbox and then you walk to the mailbox and now you've been outside and you've breathed fresh air and you've seen the sunshine or the rain or whatever. And it just kind of slowly builds inside of you of, okay, I'm, I'm continuing on with life. I might not want to, or I might not find joy right now, but I'm capable of doing it. And you just have to build off of that. And you have to, you know, I definitely still have bad days. It was just our anniversary a couple of weeks ago when I went for this hike and I always listen to music when I'm hiking and this song came on and it just brought me back to this moment with Brian of when we were first started dating. And I just was like hiking and weeping and smiling at the same time because there's such good memories, but I was so sad because he's not here anymore and just the back and forth. And it's okay. I know I'm okay with the fact that I know I'm going to have sad days And when I do, for me, it's channeling it into something. And that became writing and it became just being as open and transparent about what I'm going through as I possibly could be. And it, everything I write, you know, I keep a blog on my website and I've written a couple of books and I've helped my, my kids write a book about their experience too. And everything I write is just from deep inside of me. And it's, it's coming from a place of just wanting to get it out because I feel like, Once I've written it, I've captured that feeling. And I feel like once it's captured in time, I can then take the next step forward. And I know if I ever want to feel that type of sadness again, that moment has been captured and I can go back to it and I can read it and I can relive it. But now it's out of me and that gives me the chance to move forward. So I Oh man, so cathartic. Yeah. So yeah. like <laughs> there's but there's healing. I mean, I yeah. suffering lives in darkness and your willingness even as it's hard to confront the feelings that you're feeling and the heaviness that comes inside of grief, 
part of how you heal is by owning and, and honoring and acknowledging the worthiness of those feelings in a way that doesn't diminish them existing, but allows them their opportunity to sit and, yeah. and reflect on them. But I think there's something beautiful and healing in being able to bring them out. I know that last year you returned to the waters where your husband passed away in order to scatter his ashes with his family, his friends, his military brethren. I'm sure that that was a beautiful, but also impossibly difficult thing to have to do. Can you talk a little bit about that decision, how it came about and what it was like for you to be back there? Yeah, I actually, so Brian and I learned to scuba dive together. We've traveled the world and dived together. And when he died, it was such a part of us and, and our relationship and just such a joy for us. But when he died, I did not think that I would ever be able to dive again. I was scared. I was shaken. I didn't want my kid's story to be both of my parents died in a diving accident. And I knew like the only way to make myself not die in a scuba diving accident is to not scuba dive. And so I really did not think that I would ever be able to dive again. This company, they're called Living Reef Memorial, donated a Living Reef Memorial to my family, which means they take some of Brian's ashes and they mix them with cement and organic materials and form a reef. And I knew that that was the perfect thing for him. If anything, he wanted to be in the ocean, such a part of him, his life, our story. And so I had his ashes turned into this Living Reef Memorial and had it flown to Hawaii. And I arranged this dive team, his dive team, to all fly to Hawaii from all over the world, wherever they were at at the time. And we were going to be on, my family and I were going to be on Stagold, which was our sailboat that he had sailed over. And we were going to watch his dive team lower this reef into the water. A few days before traveling back to the island for the first time, it just kind of got in my head of, I can't not be a part of this. I can't not watch him laid to rest technically. Uh, I can't not be, I can't not do that. Like this is the only time this will ever happen. And I know it will hurt more to know that I let fear take precedent and that I was too scared or too nervous. And I missed out on this once in a lifetime opportunity than I would be to be sad and scared in the water, surrounded by all of these accomplished scuba divers taking care of me and, and making sure that I get to the surface. And so right before we were going to fly to Hawaii, um, I called a good friend of mine, one of Brian's coworkers in the Navy. And I said, Eric, I'm going to do the dive. <laughs> and he said, Ash, you don't have to. And I said, I know, but I do. Like, I, I have to. I can't not be there. And he said, okay, we're going to make it happen. And so I like let the rest of the dive team know because I wanted to give them an out if they weren't comfortable with me in the water, knowing it adds this extra emotional element And every single one of them was like, God, Ash, you're insane. You're amazing. You've got, you know, bigger balls than I do. You're amazing. Let's do this. Let's, let's get him down there. And so flew to Hawaii and on the one year anniversary, his dive team and I, we dove, he died on this, uh, shipwreck called the sea tiger. Uh, we dove the sea tiger and we all placed little shells with his ashes around the sea tiger. And then we moored up on this very specific place on the island that was really special to Brian and I and his dive team and I lowered the reef into the water and now it's on the ocean floor and we're able to go back. In fact, I was there a couple of weeks ago and some friends and I went and dove the reef. And so we've been able to see, you know, the local habitat take it over. There was an eel living in it, some crabs, little things. 
And now it's just a place for people in the diving community to go and to see him and, you know, to pay their respects, but also to kind of contemplate their, you know, not to get too existential, but contemplate their own existence. And really, are we living our best lives? Like this could end at any moment. So let's, you know, people say, let's take advantage of every moment, but not everybody lives that. And so for me, it's a reminder every time I'm down there, it's an emotional experience, but it's such a reminder to know this is really our one shot to do this, how we want to do it. And let's make sure that, that every day we're doing what we want to be doing. It's so beautiful. And the, the fact that now it exists as a living reef that yeah. for anyone who wants to connect with him or just with the legacy of who he was and how he was, that it exists as a thing that you can or anyone that loved him can yeah. go see. Unbelievable. I know uh, this last year, my brother-in-law passed away and he was a part of the corrections community in uh, Northern California. And at his funeral, the support that came from the community of people who served with him as a prison guard in, in, in corrections was just overwhelming. I'm, I'm wondering if you can talk just a little bit about what Brian's military family meant and how they played a role, both in supporting you in his passing and ultimately as a torchbearer for his legacy since he's died. I cannot say enough good things about the military, the Navy specifically, specific personnel within the Navy who really, you know, there's this, this brethren community around the military and, and, you know, sailors and soldiers anyways, but one of them passes away on active duty and you really get that sense of, I now have a lifetime of brothers and sisters looking out for me. And to this day, there's probably, I don't know, dozens of people who are consistently and constantly checking up on me and just, hey, Ash, how are you? How are the kids? Oh my gosh, I saw this thing that you're doing. Girl, are you coming back to the island anytime soon? You know, we're leaving the island. We're PCSing to this state or wherever. Here's my updated contact information. You know, this, I wasn't, these weren't empty words when he died and we're going to be here for you forever. Like we are here, contact me, my wife, let's get our kids together. I mean, it has just been for the worst of the worst of the worst circumstances. It was the absolute best because if he worked for, you know, any company that wasn't the military, I would not yeah. have had this level of support, not just from people, but I mean, everything. The military is really taking care of me and my family. And I have every confidence that I know who I can call when I can call them if I ever need anything. And it's just, it's really given me a lot of confidence that I've got people looking out for me no matter what. Yeah. It's a thing that no one wants to be a, a part of gold star families, right? It's, it's a, you know, a moniker that, you know, means that you've lost somebody, but I know for, us, Rachel had this opportunity to speak in front of Gold Star families a couple of times over the last couple of years. And it's just this profound experience of one, I think we go through life, not necessarily even contemplating how someone that we love can be lost in their line of work. And yet here is a community of people who have collectively experienced this thing. If someone is listening who is a part of this club that no one wants to be inside of. Do you have any advice that you might give? Or, I mean, frankly, if, if someone who's listening has lost someone close to them, what, what kind of advice do you give for coping with loss 
being that you're just a little bit further into the journey than certainly you were, is there any single thing that you can even give to reassure them yeah. of this being a thing that they can get through? I think the biggest, the biggest takeaway from me is that everybody, everyone feels very alone. Everyone feels like this has never happened to anybody in the history of the world before. And no one can feel what I feel. No one understands how I feel. And it takes some time to realize that everyone's circumstances and situations differently, but everyone can understand the worst day of your life and that sadness and that scariness and the confusion and the frustration and all of those emotions, no matter what it is, you know, family loss or divorce or losing a job, it doesn't matter what was the worst day of your life. It's that fear and anxiety that that worst day of your life produces. So I think just recognizing that everybody is going through something and that gold star families specifically, I don't want to say we're given this platform because it's not a title that anybody wants, but it certainly is a respected title within the military community. And so I at least feel this, I don't, I don't know what word to use here, but I feel this sense of I'm, I have this platform and I need to use it to help other people who are feeling this the same way that I was early on. And I've thankfully through whatever channels, just had the ability to connect with so many widows and widowers around the entire world these past few years. People reaching out in the very, very early stages of my husband passed away four days ago. I'm at a loss. I don't know what to do. This isn't real. And I just remember those very, very early days and just being a sense of comfort and not, you know, these words and these phrases that I heard that I didn't want to hear at that time. And so using my story and my um, situation to really just be there in whatever stage or phase they need me to be there in. And it's just been so humbling and so beautiful to be able to do that and also healing on my own because I'm still, like we said, working through this. And the fact that I feel like I'm helping or at least there and able to talk to somebody really helps me feel better about my own situation too. So that would be my advice is that no matter where you're at in this phase, somebody else is going through something similar and really when you can and however you can just being open about where you're at and what you're doing, because people are watching, even if you don't think they are, they are, and somebody can take something from what you're saying or doing and, and help themselves with it. And I think that honestly helps in this journey. Yeah, it's beautiful that that you're, even this early on, as much as time has passed, able to be a light bearer on behalf of people who are desperately in need of light is an amazing testimony and a great way to honor Brian. Uh, I did hear in uh, the world of connecting with people that you also developed an unlikely friendship with one of Brian's organ donor recipients. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, this is actually such a cool story. This is like one of the best moments of these past two and a half years. The day Brian died, my friend Linda was at the hospital with me and I did, I couldn't talk. Like I said, I didn't think that this was real. And so I, I couldn't make the phone calls to tell people it was real because I didn't think it was real. And that night he was an organ donor and the organ donor organization called me. And, you know, I had to go through a list of every single one of his organs his skin, his eyes, his bones. And I had to consent to all of that. And while I'm not believing that he's even dead, I'm having to say, yes, you can take this. 
but I knew that that's what he wanted. And I knew that it wasn't about me and it was about him and what he would have wanted. And so I got off the phone with that and I was just devastated. It was the second lowest moment of my entire life. The first of which had happened eight hours prior. And at the end of that phone call, they had said, the woman on the phone had said, if any of this is able to be used, would you want to be contacted by any potential recipients? And I said, yes. I don't remember saying yes, but I'm sure I said yes. And a year later, I don't know if it was a week, maybe two weeks before I flew to Hawaii for that memorial dive, I went to my mailbox and I had this envelope in my mailbox from Legacy of Life Hawaii. And they had sent little cards and stuff throughout the year. So it wasn't odd to see that. But I opened the envelope and inside was another envelope and handwritten across the front said, from your grateful recipient. And walking from my mailbox into my house, I read that and I just went white. I I was like, I am holding a letter from somebody who has a literal part of my husband in them. And I read this letter and it was, her name's Alyssa, 42-year-old single mom uh, from the Midwest of three kids, three boys who tore her ACL in a skiing accident. And so she had received Brian's Achilles tendon to replace her ACL. And she didn't know Brian, she didn't know us, but she was just a nurse. And she was saying, you know, I know that this gain of mine means that you had to experience tremendous loss. And I am so sorry for that. This is who I am. You know, if you'd like to communicate, please, please do. And I immediately wrote her back and I was just like, oh my God, you know, this is me. This was Brian. I have three kids too. Oh my God. Can we be best friends, please? And I mean, I wasn't that dramatic, but certainly. And we went back and forth. We wrote a couple letters back and forth over the next year And then a long story short, uh, we became friends on Facebook. And now we talk, if not every day, every few days, we text message or talk on the phone. And the kicker to all of this, the best part, she just got scuba diving certified in Nebraska. And as soon as some of this chaos lightens up, we will be meeting back in Hawaii to dive Brian's memorial together. Oh my goodness, I have chills. That's amazing. It's crazy. crazy. Wow. Unbelievable. In that same kind of vein, you have absolutely thrown yourself into many endeavors in the aftermath of your worst day possible, speaking, publishing your autobiography, creating a diving documentary. Was the, was the impetus or the catalyst for diving into, no pun intended, these endeavors an attempt to create a future? Was it that you needed something to distract you from to keep getting up each day? Was it that you that early on had a feeling for wanting to be a light bearer inside of darkness? What was it? Because it's, I mean, there's plenty of people who are faced with unimaginable tragedy that don't write a book or start doing something like creating a documentary and here you've done it. I'm curious because it's, I'm sure, been super cathartic and therapeutic by having these things to pour yourself into and maybe as a trail of breadcrumbs for someone who's also experiencing grief of their own. Yeah, for me, it, it was kind of all of that, all of that at once. It was, I knew mine and Brian's love story was special. I know that we lived this incredible, beautiful life together. And I also knew that my kids will never know us as a couple. They were one in three when he died and I was six months pregnant. So I knew that even through all my stories and photos and home videos that they're never going to know what their dad and I were like as a couple. And so 
the first book, Always Coming Back Home, is my love story with my husband so that my kids can get to know us as a couple. That was the, the, the leading thing with all of this was that I wanted to capture those memories as I remembered them right then before they have time to change and distort over time. That kind of started everything. And then the diving documentary, as I started to get information about the actual accident and what had happened, I knew that Brian had kept this diving blog about near misses and about he had interviewed people who had, you know, had accidents, but had survived them. And he interviewed people who were doing really cool things in the diving community. And it was really important to him to learn from that kind of stuff. And so I just felt this sense that he would want other people to know this information of what had happened to him so that that wouldn't happen to them as well. And that another family wouldn't have to go through what I was. And I was approached by a filmmaker and a, a subject matter expert in the UK who read what I wrote when I released all of the details of his death and just said, who are you? Like nobody releases this information. I've never seen anything like this released in the diving community. Like nobody wants to accept blame or recognize, you know, what's happened or talk about their, their spouse's death. Like this doesn't happen. Who are you? Why are you doing this? And I just, you know, said, I'm a grieving widow. I, I don't, I'm not ready to not hear Brian's name. And that was, that was as simple as it was. Honestly, I wanted people to talk about Brian. I wanted the excuse to talk about Brian. I wanted people to understand who he was as a person. And so anything that I could think of doing to keep getting to talk about him and about us and to get my kids to hear his name and to hear how important he was, not to us, but just his legacy and his life and the way he did things. And so I just kept like, what can I do? What can I talk about now? How can I get this out there? And everything that I did just kind of like built upon that and more opportunity came from that and more ideas came from that. And it's just kind of led to this really beautiful life of now writing. I was never a writer before any of this, but of writing and of sharing and of using my experience and of people who are paying attention to what I'm doing and how I'm doing it. And for some reason, finding it captivating and interesting and handing me really cool opportunities and I'm just taking them all. I'm, I'm not saying no to anything because it's all the ability to share about Brian and about the way that I think that we should each live life, honestly. Yeah, I love it. It's, it's an interesting thing because I think there is a point that people find themselves crossing over in the grief cycle where there's more about mourning death than there is about celebrating life until it gives way to it being a little bit more about celebrating life yeah. while still grieving death. And over time, I think that mix continues to tip toward the side of celebrating life. Here we are coming up on another holiday season. This, I'm sure, evokes the kind of things that while you're on a hike or wherever you might be, is yes, about celebrating life, but also grieving death. And I'm curious, and maybe it's about, you know, wanting to, to arm someone who's listening with some of the tips that maybe have worked for you and how you're having a conversation with your kids or how you approach that balance. But is there any advice you might give on how to, around Christmas, around Thanksgiving, around a birthday, have the conversation that can hold space for both the grieving of death and the celebration of life? Yeah, I think, I think the biggest part of that is recognizing your triggers too. Holidays are certainly going to be a trigger for most people. 
And I think balancing or understanding what you're capable of right now and just being really honest with yourself and what you're not and being okay with if you're not capable of that yet. So for things like Brian's birthday and our anniversary, I try to do things that we celebrate him because I know that for me, those are happy moments. And I want to eat cheesecake on his birthday because that was his favorite. And I want to be out on the boat on a boat or in the ocean because that was his favorite. And so every year I know that those are things that we're going to do because those are happy celebrations. But I know that I'm not ready to wake up Christmas morning without him here yet. This will be our third Christmas. And each year we've run away from home for Christmas because I know that it's going to be too sad for me. And I don't, I don't want that to, to reflect on my kids and wake up Christmas morning. And why is mom so sad? Yeah. Each year for the past three years, we've, we've run away from home. We haven't woken up in our home on Christmas. So this year we're going back to Hawaii for a month uh, to go spend time with, with friends and to just laugh and be at the beach and make some new memories and let them, I really want my kids to feel like that's a part of their culture and their life, even though they lived there for such a short period of time, it's going to be a part of our family forever. So I know that's not necessarily able for everyone to do that, but I think just recognizing what you're capable of and what you're not. And if you need to not deal with it, that's okay. Figure out how you can deal with it. Um, and, and just embrace that part. So beyond your work, you've also done some work around Brian's legacy and a scholarship. Can you tell us a little bit about the Stay Gold for Brian Buggy Scholarship and what it is and who does it help support and how does it help further his legacy in the work it will do? Yeah, it's a scuba diving scholarship for military personnel who want to learn to scuba dive. Like I said, that scuba diving was just a part of, of him and of us as a couple. And it was what he loved most in life outside of the kids and I. Uh, and and his military career, it was diving and the ocean in general. And so I just want to gift other people, specifically military personnel, the opportunity to do that. Within the military community specifically, you have to find the balance of work, career, lifestyle with personal fulfillment too. And it's a really, really hard thing to do there because you're gone a lot. And the military is not just a job. It is literally <laughs> consuming of your entire life and family and schedule. And so to find something outside of that, that brings you joy, that you call your own, that gets you excited. For Brian, it was diving. And so I want to share that with other people. So yeah, the Stay Gold for Brian Buggy Scuba Diving Scholarship is out there. Uh, there's information on my website about it. We promote it within the documentary it's just awesome. It's really cool to be able to do that and to promote, to talk about Brian and to promote what he loved and to hopefully gift that to more people along the way. So good. All right. If people are interested in finding out more about you, or if they're interested in getting your book, where do you direct people who are maybe not as familiar with you, but need to, after this conversation, become more familiar with you? Yeah, they could go to my website. It's ashleybuggy.com, A-S-H-L-E-Y-B-U-G-G-E.com. Or I'm on Instagram. I just picked up the ukulele so you can watch me make a fool of myself on Instagram with the ukulele. Uh, I post videos of my kids doing funny stuff. I pull pranks on them all the time that's on there. So that's probably the best, or Facebook. But I love to just connect with people honestly, wherever you're at, whatever you're doing. I, especially now, just love, love, love chatting with people about anything. So please reach out.
So good. We will put the links to both uh, your handles and your website in the show notes so that people can jump in and get to know you better themselves. All right. For the final question on Rise Together, we like to end each conversation asking you, the guest, to give our audience a single takeaway, which is a hard thing. It could be a question, an actual piece of advice, but something that might afford them peace in upside down times, processing grief in a better or healthier way. What is the single thing that you would afford the listeners of today's show? I would say to find something that's yours. That is like the biggest thing that I always tell people is to really prove to yourself how resilient you can be and to get your confidence back, no matter what phase, stage, even if you're not going through anything with grief, find something that you call your own and make it happen. It can be picking up a musical instrument. It can be writing. It can be running. It can be anything that doesn't take any money or traveling. It can be anything, but find something that brings you joy that you call your own. And I think you will see a huge shift in how you feel about yourself and what you're doing. And really it, it can lead to so many more things. So that's my biggest, my biggest thing. Find something that brings you joy that you call your own. That is such great advice. Ashley, you're a light, man. <laughs> I, I just, I, no, I appreciate, I appreciate the, the spirit and the energy with which you approach a conversation that is as close as it is to the hardest day of your life, of what many people would have never in their life have to experience. You've experienced it and you've come through it in a way that is conscientious of how you can pour into others how you can take your experience and help other people who might be experiencing the unimaginable in a better way. And I just, I'm grateful for you, thankful for you. I wish you all the best. If uh, you as a listener found value in this podcast episode and how could you not, you're listening to Ashley be a light in this dang world. Uh, would you please take a picture of the podcast, share it with every person you've ever known in your entire life and tag both Ashley and I inside of your social media so that we can have as many people as possible listen to this. Find something for yourself today so that you can feel good about yourself when you're by yourself. Thank you, Ashley, so much for being such a light to our listeners and to everyone you're interacting with in this world. I appreciate you. I appreciate you. Thank you for having me. Rise Together is hosted by me, Dave Hollis. This show is produced by Chelsea Harfouche and edited by Andrew Weller with production support by Sterling Coates. Cameron Berkman is our executive producer. Rise Together is a product of The Hollis Company.